0: Thank you guys very much. Today, we're in the second part of our three-part series on parenthood. And tonight, we're going to talk about discipline, uh, everybody's favorite topic. And we're going to start with a working definition for discipline. On your notes, we define it this way. We say, discipline is correction driven by love. It is correction driven by our heart to love our children. And as parents, God is to be our model uh, for, uh, for our discipline. He's the model for this definition of discipline. Uh, Hebrews twelve five and 6 says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines, read it with me, those he loves. That's right. Discipline is correction driven by love. Now, parents, one of the first things you need to understand is the connection between discipline and discipleship. Uh, Jesus Christ calls us to be his disciples. A disciple is someone who believes in and follows the teachings uh, of a leader. You believe in and follow someone. Jesus said that we are to go and make disciples. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that Christ has commanded us to do. Discipleship is about obeying God's word. Discipleship is conforming my will to God's will, to God's word. And God uses discipline in our lives to bring us in line with his word. And so parents, the first thing you need to do is you need to bring your will and your ways in line with God's word. Before you can begin to discipline your children effectively, you need to submit yourself to the discipline of Jesus Christ. You know, identify those areas in your life where where you're out of bounds, out of line, uh, where you are disobedient uh, or even just ignorant of God's word. Discover those and make a life change to bring yourself in line with God's Word. It's one of the first steps of discipleship and discipline. And it's important that you as a parent get your spiritual life in order first. Because you can't lead your child someplace that you yourself haven't been. You know, sometimes I'll hear parents say, you know, I don't have time to be involved in church. I don't have time to be in in a small group. I'm too busy with my kids' activities. hear that all the time. Uh, think about uh, two different scenarios with me. Two different situations. One: What would be the end result for your family if the spiritual activities of the adults were a higher priority than the recreational activities of the kids? Okay, what, what would that? Where would that take you and your family? And then think of just the opposite. What's the end result for your family if the kids' recreational activities are a higher priority than the spiritual activities of the adults? Where is that going to take you and your family? The number one priority of a parent is to become like Christ. And the reason is, is so that you can model Jesus Christ for your kids. You know, we get this idea that as parents we have to sacrifice ourselves for our kids. Jesus Christ does not call us to sacrifice ourselves for our kids. Jesus Christ calls us to sacrifice ourselves for Him. And it is when we as parents put Christ first in our lives, even ahead of our children, that we learn how to parent effectively. You know, when we think about disciplining children, we, we usually think that we must teach our children to obey us. Uh, we think we must teach our children to obey us, but that is not biblical discipline at all. Biblical discipline is not teaching my kid to obey me. It's not that I, as a parent, get to make up this long list, this checklist of laws and rules and, and, and procedures that my kid must follow, or I'll discipline him. No. No. Biblical discipline is not about teaching my kids to obey me. Biblical discipline is about teaching my kids to obey Jesus Christ. And I can't teach them to obey Christ if I'm not obeying Christ. I can't teach them to put Christ first in their life if they are first in my life. If I'm going to discipline my children, I must disciple my children. And to disciple my children, I must first be a disciple myself now how important is discipline in the life of a child Proverbs 19 18 says this it says discipline your son for in that there is hope do not be a willing party to his death parents we need to understand that there is a spiritual battle going on for who is going to be in charge in our households there's a spiritual battle over who's going to be in charge is it going to be Jesus Christ is it going to be us is it going to be the kids and that's a battle that we must win, and we must win it decisively. And if you find yourself constantly nagging and yelling and bribing and threatening, you're losing the battle. You're losing the battle. Oh, but but Pastor, I don't want to be mean to my kids. I, I want my kids to like me. I, I want my kids to love me. I, I don't want to discipline my kids. That's mean. This is what someone told me this years ago. It said, discipline is not something you do to your child, but something you do for your child. Uh, Zig Ziglar said it this way. He said, a child who has not been disciplined with love by his little world will be disciplined without love by the great big world. Now, discipline is not just for kids. Uh, being undisciplined is not just a problem for kids. Uh, let's talk about undisciplined parents. For a little bit, and maybe you'll see a little bit of yourself in some of these different examples of undisciplined parents. First example is the lifeguard parent. Lifeguard parents rescue a child from consequences. You know, little Johnny's in trouble again, and Supermom sweeps in to save the day. Oh, Johnny, it'll be okay, I'll save you again. You know, how do you know if you're a lifeguard parent? Uh, you're a lifeguard parent if you rescue your children from the consequences of their sin. A lifeguard parent does not allow their child to face the consequences of their own sins. A lifeguard parent steps in, rescues them from the consequences, blames someone else, another kid, a teacher, or a cop. You know, if your kid's been arrested three times, it's probably not because the police are overzealous. A lifeguard parent makes excuses for their child's sin. Now, why is it important to allow children to experience the consequences of their sin? Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. In other words, God set up the world with a system of consequences. You live according to God's words, and there will be blessings. You live uh, uh, counter to God's word, and there are consequences. And we must give our gift, our children the gift of facing the consequences of their bad decisions. You know, if your kid uh, hasn't prepared their science project, don't step in the last minute, uh, the night before, and do it for them. You, you need to teach them that these projects need to be done properly and, and promptly. And you give your kids lunch money and they spend it on something else or they lose it. You know, instead of, oh, poor baby, you've got to have your lunch, you know. Uh, you say, hey, you spent your money on something else or you're irresponsible and you lost it? No lunch today. We don't always jump in and rescue them from the consequences. Your kid gets a speeding ticket. Here's a wild idea. They pay the ticket and they take the points. You know, you don't hire an attorney to, to, to get it uh, pled down or reduced. You don't soften the consequences. You know, lifeguard parents sweep in to rescue their kids from the consequences. And so the parents bear the burden. And uh, their kids never learn the lesson. Another undisciplined parent is the etch-a-sketch parent. You know what an etch-a-sketch is, right? They use them for computers in Arkansas. Okay? Uh, uh, Wow. Now I wish I would have told the cat joke earlier that I left out. Um, But, you know, an Etch-A-Sketch is a little little plastic screen. It's got those two little knobs on it. You turn it, and it draws lines. Uh, What happens when you turn the Etch-A-Sketch over and, and you shake it? The lines disappear. You know, a lot of parents draw lines of discipline in their households. But when their family is shaken, the lines disappear. You know, the kids are saying, well, where are the lines? Where are the boundaries? We, we thought we knew what the rules were, but now they've changed. Etch-a-sketch parents are inconsistent parents. Proverbs 29, 15, the rod of correction imparts wisdom. But a child left to himself, a child with no boundaries, disgraces his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you peace. He will bring delight to your soul. You know, kids don't want the lines to always be moving. Even the whole time they're pushing against the lines and trying to cross over the lines and challenging the lines, the kids want the lines to be the same. They want there to be consistently. Now, now if it's hard to be a, a consistent parent. It, you know, parents get tired of enforcing the rules all the time. And sometimes you can be a hardline drill sergeant one day and the next day you're captain of the love boat. And you know, you're just back and forth. But it's hard for kids to follow the rules even if, or if the parents don't know what the rules are. You know, when the rules keep changing, how can you follow them? How can you enforce them if they're always shifting? And inconsistency frustrates kids. Inconsistency makes kids angry. If the curfew is supposed to be 11 o'clock, but every Saturday night it's up for negotiation, or one week you're real strict about it, and the next week nobody pays any attention to it, that's just fertile ground for conflict and disobedience. In dysfunctional families, one of the the hallmarks of dysfunctional families is the rules keep changing. Etch-a-sketch parents. Next, there are split-decision parents. Uh, These are parents who are often divided. Uh, They disagree. They're not unified in their approach to discipline. Amos 3.3 says, do two walk together unless they have agreed to do so? And one of the most important things that we can do as parents is to agree to keep a unified stance in front of our children. Now let's talk for a minute about the real world uh, because divorce complicates things. Divorce makes life very, very difficult. And when a mom and a dad don't stay married, when a mom and a dad don't really even like each other much anymore, kids quickly learn to pit one parent against the other. You know, mom said I could go here, now you're telling me I can't go here, you're mean. Oh, dad would have bought this for me, and you're not going to buy it for me, you know, you're mean to me. And suddenly, the parents are pitted against each other. You know, if your marriage didn't stay together, and, and you don't really even like your ex, and for the sake of your children... Do everything you can to be unified on discipline. Uh, Blended families, another complicated situation. You know what you hear a lot of time in blended families? Well, you know, these are my kids, they're not your kids. Those are your kids, they're not my kids. And in a blended family, if you disagree with each other as parents, you need to do it behind closed doors. Because if you do it in front of the kids, you've you got to stand unified in front of the kids or, or they will take you out the first chance they get. You've got to be unified in your discipline. Now let's shift gears here and you know, we've looked at some of our own faults as parents. Let's look at some things that we as parents should expect from our children and expect from ourselves and our, our role as disciplinarians. First, we should expect first-time and cheerful obedience from our children. We should expect first-time, immediate, and cheerful obedience. Galatians 3.20 says, Children, obey your parents after they have warned you several times. That's not what it says. It says, children, obey your parents in everything. Why? Because it pleases the Lord. Scripture does not say, obey your mom and dad after they say, cut that out. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Stop it. You want me to come over there? You want me to count to three? One, two. Don't give me that look. Two and a half. I'm coming over there. No, we expect first-time obedience from our children just as God expects first-time obedience from us. And not only do we expect outward obedience, we expect inward obedience as well. Uh, first-time obedience, immediate obedience, we expect cheerful obedience. Uh, do everything without complaining or without arguing. I mean, there's a, there's a family memory verse. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Because not only does outward obedience matter, but so does inward obedience. Uh, often, inward obedience matters more than outward obedience and so you must discipline more for attitude than for actions you know a dad comes home and says you know son I heard you were talking back to your mother well so what well you can't talk back to your mother whatever son any more smart talk from you and you're going to your room fine I'll go to my room stomp 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 boom and the door slams Now, what you've got there is you have outward obedience with inward rebellion. And that's dangerous. That's dangerous. Discipline is more about attitudes than it is about actions. Because when the attitude is right, the actions will be right. And when the attitude is wrong, the actions will be wrong. So we need to expect first time and cheerful obedience. Another thing on your notes that we can expect. We agree to never discipline in anger. Never. Never discipline in anger, not under any circumstances. The Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. Now, disobedience can be very frustrating for a parent. Kids just have this innate ability to disobey at the most inopportune time. Have you ever noticed that? It's like they they know when it is the most inopportune time for them to act out. And that can be extremely frustrating to a parent. It can make a parent angry. But in your anger, do not sin. That's why it's important to separate your anger from your discipline. And we need to discipline ourselves as parents when we exercise discipline for our kids. We never discipline out of anger. Now at our house uh, we we spanked our kids. You know, we didn't beat our kids out of anger. Uh, we we spanked our kids in discipline and there is a huge difference between those two. And we spanked our kids very rarely. When we did spank, it was for a, a distinct boundary of disobedience had been crossed. It, it was for uh, just blatant rebellion. Uh, and we spanked our kids we had a broad flat Teflon spatula. And it made a loud pop on the seat of the pants, and it also inflicted enough punishment that no one enjoyed the process. Okay, and when our children disobeyed, Katie used to carry that spatula around in her purse, <laughs> and could you know that inopportune time in the checkout line at Walmart, and the kid starts you know freaking out, and she would just pull the handle up out of the purse and. Pssst, You know, that's the benefit of that. Often, you don't even have to use it. You just show it, and and even just the handle. Here, and they're they're real good. But when our children disobeyed, we would sit down one-on-one with them. We would make direct eye contact. Eye contact was crucial. And then we would ask them to tell us exactly what they did wrong. Because we wanted to be sure that they understood what they did wrong. Because a lot of times, they didn't know what they did wrong. And then we would discuss what they did wrong and we would discuss what they should have done. There, there was correction, there was instruction for the future that would happen. And then we would decide on, on the punishment. Uh, for carelessness or just irresponsibility or just acting like a kid, uh, the punishment might be a timeout in their room or it might be a loss of a privilege or you know, we take a toy away or it may be a work project to repair or clean up the damage that was done. But for direct, willful disobedience, for just blatant acts of rebellion, uh, we would give them a few pops uh, on the butt with the spatula, and we'd give them enough uh, pops till it wasn't funny anymore. Uh, you know, part of the argument against spanking is that spanking develops uh, angry kids. It develops rebellious, uh, violent kids. Uh, if you believe that, I, I'd like for you to take a look at the first generation that hasn't really been spanked. Uh, you know, my oldest kid is in his mid-30s. Uh, back then, uh, we spanked. In fact, back, back then, when he acted up in school, uh, you know, the principal would get out the paddle and, uh, and would bust his little butt till he was singing soprano. But... <laughs> You know, the, the next generation, uh, you know, didn't get that. So if the theory against spanking is true, then those who are in their 20s should be the most compliant, peace-loving, gentle, obedient generation that has ever lived. <laughs> at, at our house, we, we spanked. And if you choose to do that at your house, you never do it in anger. Uh, If you strike out and hit your child in anger, uh, let me tell you, you need to repent before God. That is not what, you need to repent to your child. That is not what we're talking about. In fact, if you do that, you need to get help. And if you don't repent and change your ways, one day you're going to answer to God for what you've done to those little ones. Because that is not what we're talking about. You never, ever, ever discipline in anger. So first, we, we expect First time, immediate and cheerful obedience. Now, second, we, uh, we agree to never discipline in anger. And third, we discipline promptly and with instruction and reconciliation. Promptly, uh, with instruction and reconciliation. Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So the first thing we do with our kids is we ask them, what did you do? What what did you do wrong? And and we ask them because a lot of times they don't think it's their fault. A a lot of times, you know, they're mad at their brother or sister. You know, my brother took my Barbie away from me. That's why I grabbed it back and hit him in the head. It's his fault. No, no, we don't hit with Barbies. What did you do wrong? But it's all his fault. You've got to clear that up. You know, we have to bring them to a point of understanding, confessing what they've done wrong. To confess means to say the same thing about something. Uh, So we want them to say the same thing about that act that you say about it. We want them to get to the point where they say, yeah, it was the wrong thing to do, I understand. And once they admit what they did wrong, then the second question is, how can you handle it better next time? This is instruction. This is training in righteousness. Let's decide ahead of time what the right thing to do is so the next time you can make the right decision. So first you give them instruction, and then the second, there is reconciliation. You know, you did wrong, this is the punishment, now you're forgiven. And we hug, we kiss, we pray, we go on about our day. I mean, it's it's over, it's done with, we move on. And I can tell you, some of the sweetest times that Katie and I had with our kids was after we'd had to discipline them. I mean, there was just something about them after we'd had that that experience that they were just the sweetest kids. It's like they knew that we cared enough about them to discipline them. They knew that, that their offense had been taken care of, had been paid for. They knew where the boundaries were. They knew what would happen if they crossed them. They knew we loved them unconditionally even if they broke the rules. It was just a sweet time after that. Now, what does that kind of discipline do? Well, it plants within your child an understanding of what the cross of Jesus Christ is all about. It plants an understanding intuitively at first, and then even at a deeper level later on. They understand that our sin must be punished. And Jesus Christ took the punishment for our sin. And once we believe that Christ took the punishment for our sin, God declares us forgiven. Because justice has been satisfied, and it teaches our children the principles of God's economy. The idea of sin and wrongdoing and, and punishment and, and forgiveness. And one day they say, you know what, I, 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 I want my sin to be paid for, and I recognize Christ paid for it on the cross, and I can be forgiven because the price was paid. They won't take their salvation for granted. They will know that they were bought at a price. And for the rest of their life, they'll be devoted to serving and living for the one who paid the punishment for them. You know, that second verse that we looked at there, Proverbs 19, 18, Discipline your son, for in it there is hope. Do not be a willing party to his death. I used to think, uh, man, that's over the top. Do not be a willing party to his death. But over the years, I have seen over and over again children who've wound up in harm's way because their parents refused to discipline them. Discipline provides protection, first at 3, then at 13, then at 18. I mean, discipline is correction driven by love. It's not something we do to them, it's something we do for them because we want to love them toward Jesus Christ. So parents, do you see yourself anywhere in here? Are you a lifeguard parent who rescues your kid from the consequences of their actions? Uh, are you an etch-a-sketch parent who's uh, inconsistent in, in where the rules and the boundaries are? Are you split-decision parents who can't agree on what the rules are and what the punishment should be? You know, are you getting third and fourth time obedience after a lot of yelling? or Are you settling for outward conformity with inward rebellion? Maybe you've got an anger problem. Maybe you haven't brought biblical instruction to your kids. I'd invite you just to cry out to God today to say, God, make the changes in me. God, discipline me in the areas where I need to be corrected, in the areas where I need to be instructed so that I can become the image, the model of Christ that my children need to see. And if you're not parents yet, what a great time to begin asking God to prepare you to be a godly parent one day. Let's pray together. God, we just pray for wisdom as to what to do. Being a parent can be so difficult. At times it's frustrating, even scary. So God, we just lean steadfastly on you and pray that you would do the work in us that needs to be done so that we can become the disciples that our children can follow. God, help us to cling tightly to Christ so that our kids see him in us and will choose to follow him. God, I pray for single parents. Uh, What a struggle to have to do this task alone. I just pray that you would give them an extra special measure of wisdom and grace, strength and stamina, help them to be able to uh, do the things that they need to do to play the double role that must be played. God, just build them up. I pray for those, uh, God, who are uh, divorced and in blended families and face uh, added difficulties. God, give them the grace that they need to forgive one another, the grace they need to stand with one another even in their differences, to be able to speak with a unified voice for the benefit of their children. Father, we thank you for your word pray that you'll confirm conform our will to your word for we ask it in Jesus name amen